Hi, welcome back. Danny, how are you doing? I'm so good. How are you doing, Al? I'm doing real well. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, we're going to talk about these five megatrends that you all have identified and uh, maybe some things to do about them. So if you would introduce yourself and a little bit about what we'll be talking about today. Sure. My name is Danny Johnson. I'm the co-founder and principal analyst at Red Thread Research. We're a research and advisory firm that focuses mostly on human capital issues, and we try and connect them to the broader challenges that organizations are facing. And today, every year we put out a trends report. This year, we actually took a look at the, the larger, grander megatrends that the world is dealing with, and then took a look at our knowledge of what organizations are doing with their people practices in order to help solve those challenges, or at least react to them. Well, without being uh, you know, dramatic, what are the trends? Let's just oh jump right in. Gosh, the trends. Um, and we're seeing them pretty much every day in the news, but... I mean, the biggest trends are things like rising inflation and a tightening talent labor market and stakeholder capitalism, which which we'll talk a little bit about. But employees are getting a little bit more interested in what their organizations are doing and how they're reacting to social issues. Obviously, COVID continues. And then we've, we're also seeing more of a focus on humans. This uh, COVID has really helped us sort of see the importance of the humans over the robots. And we're seeing a lot more organizations react in that way. Now, you know, coming up with these, you know, megatrends is is one thing. It's another thing to you know, think about how they're going to affect organizations and you know, how then HR leaders and others should respond you know, appropriately. So, you know, if you want to go point by point, great. But just in general, first off, you know, what does someone do with the megatrends? You know, they read the report, they see the infographic. You know, what do you advise uh, the action be, you know, based on what you're sharing? I think the biggest action is just to be aware of them. I think a lot of times HR people get sort of insular when they're responding to challenges. They're responding to the, some five-year plan that they have out there. But the things that we just talked about, those five trends are happening right this second and need to be addressed right this second. And, almost, and every single one of them involves the people in the organization. Yeah. And you know, let's take off that first one, because I listened to uh, an NPR segment uh, the other day and talking about inflation and what that's going to do to wages. And there's a host of you know, both constraints in the talent market and reality that you know, companies don't have you know, blank checks to keep, you know, and so you know, what are your thoughts and ideas there? What, what's happening with inflation and how it's affecting comp specifically? Yeah. Well, I was looking at a, a New York Times article this morning, actually, that said inflation was at a 40 year high at 7.5%, which is just really, I mean, we've never dealt with, I haven't dealt with that in my professional lifetime for sure. Um, there was a study done late last year that said that about 60% of HR professionals are expecting inflation to drive uh, salaries and wages up at least 5%. So we usually see a 2.5 to a 3% cost of living increase. This year it'll be 5%. And you know, compared to the, the inflation that we're seeing, that's that's not enough. So we're expecting <laughs> we're expecting organizations to probably go back and think a little bit harder about that to see what they can do. So okay, we have inflation with products and services we have you know, wage inflation uh we're also talking about humanizing the work experience and there are organizations that are experimenting with four-day work weeks 35-hour work weeks uh 
you know, the ideal future state that everyone's working four days and, and making a bunch of money, <laughs> but there are constraints, you know, financially and otherwise. So how do you see this tension evolving? And I imagine it's going to vary industry to industry, but what are some of your thoughts there? Yeah, that was the first point I was going to make is it probably very much depends on industry to industry. When you look at, um, people that have, have left their jobs, for example, and we'll probably talk about that in just a minute, but um, it's not happening uniformly across everything. It's happening in, in certain industries. So um, retail is one of them, hospitality is one of them. Those types of, of industries are really having to step up and, and actually put money in to, to that pot for, for increases in wages. And it has to come from somewhere, as you mentioned, organizations don't have an unlimited pot of money. I wish they did, but they don't. And so and so they're having to figure out how to prioritize maybe a little bit differently than, than they have in the past. So we're not sure exactly where that money is going to come from, but it has to come from somewhere and it's probably going to come from within HR. So there's probably going to be some rearranging there. Okay. And that obviously has to address point number two or, or yeah. mega trend yeah, number two around the uh, tightening labor market you know what's the you know relationships there and what are some of the ideas that you and your team there at red thread are offering up to address the tightening labor market yeah so some of the things that we're studying is um things like focusing on retention for example um when we focus on retention when most organizations focus on retention they focus almost exclusively on money like what can we do to give people more money um to stay especially in the short term um, but what we, I think what we should be looking at is, you know, how can we, how can we maybe rethink that retention question in general? Should we be focusing so heavily on retention? Should maybe we be thinking about onboarding people more quickly or upskilling them and moving them around the organization a little bit better? So I think this tightening of the labor market is also going to help organizations rethink maybe this I think it's an obsession and has been an obsession for, you know, 10 years or so, this this focus on retention. Obviously, the longer you can keep an employee, the, the less money it costs. Um, at the same time, there are other ways to, to, to make that money up if you're not able to keep your people the way that most organizations are not able to right now. Right. And the development opportunities, you know, learning is something that is very important to you all at, at Red Thread. And I, I know you've done yeah. uniquely valuable research, you know, in that area. It's increasingly, correct me if I'm wrong, just taking off your point, it's not only to upskill, reskill uh, the workforce, but it is being used increasingly as a retention yeah. tool as well as something to attract uh, employees to uh, organizations. Can, can you speak to that? You know, not yeah. only, yeah, because it's important. We've seen this a lot in um, sort of office jobs for a really long time. We've seen, hey, we'll send you to get an MBA or you, you can finish up your bachelor's degree or whatever it is. Um, recently, in the last three or four years, we've seen some really interesting things for frontline workers. So Guild Education, that's their whole value proposition is helping those on the front line sort of develop the skills and the knowledge and the education that they need in order to move up through the organization. I talked to uh, a vendor yesterday who is going to is just about to sign a contract with um, some big or some other big organization. And what they're doing is they're offering language. They're offering English as a second language to frontline workers um, and especially focusing on the immigrant community as a way to retain those people. Um, they understand that it's a stepping stone. They understand that they may be able to keep them for three or four more months, but that's enough to, to make it a viable option to use development as a, as a retention tool. Yeah, that, that third one, 
of implementing skills that yeah. when you say language, uh, yeah, obviously it's one thing to acquire skills. It's another thing to actually put it in, in the practice. Is that what you're alluding to when you talk about implementing skills? When we're talking about implementing skills, we think this is a broader thing. So implementing skills on a personal level, obviously, is kind of what we just talked about. You learn better English, therefore you get a better opportunity within the organization. Therefore, you grow and the organization grows with you. The thing that we've seen in the past, people have been talking about skills for seven or eight or nine or 10 years. Um, and there are many catchphrases out there. Skills is the the currency within organizations and all kinds of stuff that we haven't completely bought into. But what we have seen in the last couple of years is this idea of implementing a skill mindset. So instead of just focusing on roles and moving people around with respect to roles and organizing the skills they need by the roles, taking a much broader approach and saying, okay, what skills does this person have and what directions can that person go in because of those skills? And if this person wants to go in a specific direction, what skills are, are most likely that they need? And you just talked, correct me if I'm wrong, from an organizational perspective. Why am I making this investment? Uh, that mindset arguably needs to be at the individual level as well, how they leverage these skills for their ongoing development. Is that a fair statement? That is a fair statement. Yeah. I, I just, because sometimes historically it's been, I am acquiring these skills because I, the organization, needs it and it might not be aligned with my interests or where I want to go with my career. Uh, but if organizations are going to be successful and make this stick, that there has to be that that meeting of the mind, so to speak. So it, there is there's benefit to the individual. They elevate their employability both inside and potentially even outside the organization. Because as yeah. we've long talked about, oh, I'm, I don't want to develop these people because then my Competitors are just going to yeah. re recruiting away, but that short-sightedness, correct me if I'm wrong again, is, I don't want to say going away because some people still have that scarcity mentality, but that has to be let go and we have to make these investments. Is that a yeah, I think technology has advanced to the point where there's no way you can keep keep it a secret what skills your individuals have, right? What, what mm -hmm. skills your employees have. It's on LinkedIn everywhere um, and, and other platforms as well. GitHub, for example, is a really good example of a way to show, show a portfolio of work that sort of highlights your, the skills that you have. So, so that barrier is down. People can see the skills that people have and, and the the last sort of step is helping the organizations understand the skills that their people have so that they can either help them to grow and, and develop in certain ways in order to retain them and, and, and do what they need to do or um, to, well, basically that, to, to move them around where they need to go or help them develop the skills that they need for, for positions that they see needs in. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm so excited for your research. Um, and I say that, well, number one, because I've known you all for years and I've seen you know, Red Thread grow to what it is today. And it's fantastic. And not only the quality of the research that you do, but how you uh, connect the dots. And this next mega trend, um, when I saw that you actually elevated it, I was kind of jumping up and down because you're likely familiar, as many of our listeners are, with the book Firms of Endearment. Uh, yeah. which came out probably 12 plus years ago. And it highlighted a stakeholder relationship management and conscious capitalism. And yeah, it goes back even and beyond that. But it's becoming more pervasive now. Is that something that you're asserting by putting this forth? Yeah, we are. 
Um, we did we did a uh, study a few years ago on purpose when people started using the term purpose. It has obviously been around for a really, really long time. Um, but with the, the things that we've seen with coronavirus and the, the need to focus on the humans as well as some of the social uh, social challenges <laughs> that most uh, com com countries have had, um, it has become a thing that we really, really, really do need to focus on. And so orienting people around the purpose that an organization has is one of those ways to retain them. I don't know if you're familiar with the Edelman Trust Index. We keep a, a fairly close eye on that. It came out in January and it basically said that 60% of people choose a place to work based on their beliefs and their values. And so organizations are having to very clearly define what their beliefs and their values are and live up to those values in order for people to, not just to attract the people, but to, to keep them within, within their organization. And stakeholder relationship management and stakeholder capitalism, as it's more commonly referred to now, used to be kind of a goody goody <laughs> we're gonna do it because we're being virtuous we're doing the right thing however it's increasingly a business imperative a non-negotiable would you agree with that i would agree with that and the data would agree with you too um again back to edelman trust index 58 percent of people buy or advocate brands based on their beliefs and their values and so it's not just keeping people within the organization it's how they sell to the public making sure that their sort of face and their actions speak to who they are because people are buying based on that now and you know so there's that business value obviously you want me to say that again Obvious. <laughs> there, there are some, and I'm going to bring up the the slide again so you can speak to it directly. Because just to highlight, creating greater equity and sharing more diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging data. Uh, obviously, these are high priorities for each organization that's that's out there. So, can you speak to those two elements in creating greater equity and, and sharing more diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging data? Yeah, I think um, in the last two years, we've seen more uh, conversations and um, I don't want to call it noise because it's not noise, but we've seen more conversations and more uh, discussions about DEIB than we ever had before. And I think it's because that we finally hit a tipping point where people are like, hey, wait, this is not fair. There is not equity within organizations and organizations have had to take um, a good look at who they are and put systems and processes into place that help even the playing field a little bit. Um, I think what's interesting about that is that organizations are at the very beginning of this and and they're they're trying to figure out what needs to happen. In the past, it's been heavily reliant on one person DEIB organizations or um, employee resource groups in order to handle. And that has been less than effective because they haven't necessarily had the buy-in of, of the senior, senior leadership. Um, and we also haven't had the data, but my partner, Stacia Gar, has done a lot of research on vendors that are now providing that DEIB data to help you understand kind of what's going on in your organization and, and how you can sort of move the needle on some of these things. And yeah, no, go, keep going. I'm sorry. No, no, I, I was done. <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> well, everything that you shared, um, the megatrends, uh, there's kind of, I'll say an elephant in the room, but it's an elephant on the planet. Um, and that is, you know, COVID. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, Obviously affecting everybody uh, and you assert mental health and supporting yeah. managers and connecting employees. So, what you know, what are you seeing here and what do you advocate? 
Yeah, we're seeing that organizations are actually paying attention to mental health. I think part of this is because uh, we now have sort of a better view into people's mental health than we have in the past. You used to be able to hide it a little bit better, go into the bathroom and cry, but now you're on Zoom almost all the time. And so uh, addressing mental health has become a big thing, especially since we're all feeling stress. Even if we don't think we're feeling stressed, just you know, being cooped up in a house for two years with one-year-old is... We'll, we'll, wear, we'll wear on you just a little bit. It sounds like you're speaking from no, experience. not at all. Not at all. <laughs> um, what I think is what is really interesting, though, is the way that most organizations have sort of solved this problem until now has that they've offered more stuff. So they've offered um, wellness classes or yoga classes on the side or a financial um, advisor or these types of things to sort of try and take stress off people's plates. Um, okay, we're not against those things. We think they're they're good, but we actually also think that there needs to be a complete re-engineering of how we do work to take the stress out of that. And I wonder if we actually looked at the system and subtracted instead of trying to add more things onto people's plates so that they're not stressed out, um, if, if we would get a lot farther. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you have ideas for that hour, please send them over. No, I just to to pause there for a second. I, I've done some work uh, with several researchers and organizations, um, and I'm thinking of recent discussion with uh, Sanya Lacina of Question Pro about um, well-being and its relationship to capacity. You know, we're all constrained by time. Yeah. And to your point, if we keep throwing things at people thinking that they're going to help without being conscious of their workload, and Microsoft has done research, and I also had a discussion with Aaron Hurst of Imperative the other day talking about, you know, there's more meetings happening, they're uh, shorter of duration, so the time to actually do work has been constrained. Meanwhile, to your point, you got kids in the background, the elder care, you know, all these other things are impacting, you know, our ability to focus, let alone you know, do what we're being asked to do. So I think there's a lot of runway, a lot of room for organizations to, to your point, create systematic change around being conscious of the workload, conscious of the tools that are being used to do that work. And can it be for lack of a better term, optimized or right-sized yeah. uh, so people can have well-being. But you know, again, that takes a virtuous leader, correct me if I'm wrong, or set of leaders, and they have to have the patience and wherewithal to explore you know, what is most appropriate. And I'll also add to the previous slide, you know, there has to be a balance between making money yeah. for the organization and doing right by the worker, right? For sure. So, so we have this COVID, you know, I want to call out connecting employees okay. because uh, you know, what, you know, what does that mean to you and uh, your research? Yeah. So I read a really interesting stat. The reason this came about is because we are reading some information by Marissa King and I'm going to screw up his first name, but Balzax Kovacs, I think his name is. Um, and they said that during the pandemic, professional, personal and professional networks have shrunk by 16%. That's, a, that's roughly 200 people. And so what has happened is people get on the phone with the people that they work with and they develop deeper relationships with those people, but those connections, those softer connections around the, the edge sort of go away. And so as we move into the next phase of whatever work is going to look like, and we think it's going to be, you know, I think hybrid work is going to be a, a, a pretty big part of that. We have to think about how we're, how we're going to connect employees so that we don't lose 
those those networks, which are pretty valuable to finding other work, getting stuff done, making sure that the, the right people have the right information, making sure that there's equity. All of those things have to do with networks. And so uh, we don't have the answers yet, but we're going to study it a little bit and see if we can find uh, some of the ways that organizations are actually connecting employees a little bit better. Well, I, I, I got... I got chills because uh, that's what I'm trying to do. And I'm going to be kind of shameless in this right now because uh, I'll highlight two organizations that are addressing that. And these are ideas as much as anything. I don't want to come across, you know, saying, oh, you know, go and buy these yeah. technologies. But I'm actually partnering with them, with the file community to do two things. Number one, peer coaching. So okay. how do you be vulnerable with somebody and, you know, connect across organizations? But that also can happen and is happening more prominently within organizations. You know, to, hey, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on helping uh, yeah. one another and having guides on how to do that, because not everyone knows how to hold space yeah. and stay in compassionate curiosity and, and do those things that facilitate authentic connection. And the other thing is, you know, how do we connect in a virtual environment? So there's companies like Twine. Um, where you go and you have a connection with a small group and you go to another group uh, organized on, on certain themes. So that is kind of, it's not taking the place of, but it's in addition to what used to be an all hands meeting where yeah. not only was the meeting of value, but the interactions afterwards at a reception, you know, where you met new people. So those are ideas. And that's something that I personally am bringing to the Paval community where we activate our, our content. So I would hope, I would think that organizations are going to be adopting those types of solutions moving forward to facilitate this connection. This is kind of outside the core uh, connections that you, know, you articulated how they help in developing career, yeah. generating energy and all these other good things. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I, so um, we have the last mega trend, and we've just kind of touched on it. Uh, so can you speak to this notion that we're going to focus more on human? Yeah, we're going to focus more on the humans. So uh, this has been a trend for the last five or six years. Uh, we've seen, and, and it sort of shows up in all different ways. The, the biggest group of literature that we've read around it is on employee experience. So how do we how do we sort of treat people like humans and not robots and cogs in a machine and, and, and do right by them? A couple of things have happened in the last year or so, though, that I think are really interesting. The first one is that um, L&D, well, not L&D, but all people practice leaders are claiming their influence. So they've they've been sort of sitting around the edge of the room in strategy discussions for years and years and years. And now they're finding that the expectation is for them to actually help lead some of these larger strategic initiatives, especially when you're talking about some of the huge disruptions we've seen in the last couple of years, um, talent acquisition, upskilling, you know, reallocating talent to different parts of the organization. How do we keep people engaged? How do we make sure that the, their well-being is taken care of? All of these things are HR, they're firmly sitting within HR. And, and so the bar has gone way up in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, and along with that, a lot of leaders are stepping up and saying, yeah, 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 I have a seat at the table. I've always had the seat at the table. I just need to sit down and start, you know, helping with this discussion. And I think uh, the bar, that bar is a really interesting thing because this week there was an article written about ByteDance. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they're the... Huh. Yeah, they're the they're the parent company of TikTok. Have you heard of them, Al, or are you too old? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> Is that what those kids are using these days? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, what they did on December 27th, they shuttled their entire talent development department. They just basically said, 
yeah, we're not going to have a talent development department. We have found that they're not doing the things that our organization needs them to do. And we have found that they are basically ineffective. So we're getting rid of the entire thing and we're going to distribute that, that those responsibilities throughout the entire organization instead. Interesting move. I've been waiting for it to happen for a while now because I think we should probably be thinking more sort of holistically about the whole thing. But it was sort of like a wake up call to some organizations that are like, crap, are we doing what we should be doing? Are, the, are we actually having some impact on the organization or are we just doing what we've always done because we've always done it? And so I think that bar is going to change the way that, that organizations look at HR and, and they're going to expect a lot more. Well, I not only agree with you, I, I, I agree too, it's a wake up call because uh, we have a lot of inertia from history around not only what we're doing, but the language that we're using. And can you speak to, as we start to you know, wrap up now, you know, as we challenge and provide insight to leaders on what's happening and some ideas on, on what to do, uh, you know, how do they unhinge from this weight of the past? Yeah. Yeah, ideas there? Yeah, I do have some ideas. Um, my first one is quit looking at 50-year-old models and assuming that they're still valid. Um, a lot of a lot of times, those are what's taught in school, and that's what we bring with us, and that's how we sort of look at things. Um, they're not valid anymore. There are so many things that have changed that we have to think differently about what we're doing. The second thing is to get out from behind your desk. Um, I, I, I work a lot with L&D particularly, and they're an ivory tower that sits on the ed edge of the organization a lot of times. They create things and throw them out there and hope that they're right. And then the third one is like, you know, pay attention to the data. And I know this is a love of yours, Al, but, you know, H HR and people analytics data has come a long, long way in the last little while. And the vendors that we're talking to are doing some pretty amazing things with that data that really provide insights that not just that particular function can use, but that the organization can use to make better decisions about where they're going or what they need to do. So those are my those are my three. Well, I mean, Absolutely. <laughs> Again, I'm just more than a little biased, but I, to your point, we have to think differently and we have to learn at speed and we have to implement at scale in a sustainable way. And to your point, it has, I don't want to call it lazy thinking, um, yeah. but I, I think in many cases, that's what it is, is that we keep doing what we know that we're comfortable with and what is appropriate has to be discovered through discussion, get it out from yeah. behind your desk and created. You know, it, in many cases, it's not out there yet, or we have to create an ecosystem of experiences that generate, you know, the desired um, experience. So with that, you know, I'm sorry, you're gonna say something to that? No, 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 you're good. Yeah, so as we start to wrap, I, I have on the screen the five megatrends, you know, all together. Any you know, closing comments on the, the megatrends and what uh, leaders and others can do about it? I mean, I think these are these are very high level. Uh, most people look at this and be like, yeah, we need to do that. We're, we're working on some research to, to help you do that a little bit better. But I think what you said just barely, like this, these most of these aren't areas where you can actually cheat up your neighbor. You have to figure out what works for you and in your organization. And I think that's a, that's a pretty big point. Well, as you move forward, how can people learn more about you and what you're doing there at Red Thread Research? Yeah, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn. We're pretty active on LinkedIn. And so if you have an interest in what, we, what we've talked about here, follow me, follow uh, uh, Red Thread. 
on LinkedIn. And then also we have a couple of complimentary things on our website. So you might want to check stuff out there. All right. Well, Danny, thank you for doing what you do. Uh, it's been enlightening as always. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to get together in person uh, before too long. Yeah. I hope so. I hope so too. So yeah, you take care of that one-year-old in the meantime and uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see you soon. Thanks again.